0: Hey, hi, hello, y'all. This is RB, your collector of all things Midwest, welcoming you to Take the Last Bite, a show where we take Midwest nice, tie it to the end of a string, and toss it into a lake, hoping a crappie or walleye take the bait. On today's show, I get to nerd out with a fellow bookworm to chat about the golden era of queer comic books, as well as some of our other literary faves. But first, We gotta talk about Target. The big box store with the big red bullseye has missed its own Target by pulling Pride merch from its shelves in response to anti-queer backlash from customers. Citing this decision as a concern for employee safety, Target has not shared exactly what Pride items it will be taking out of its stores, but one creator of the Pride collection seems to be a central figure of the sudden removal. Transgender designer Eric Carnell's business, Pralin is the only contributor so far to have designs removed from Target's website and stores. There's suspicion that the controversy over Carnell's designs were more to do with items he sells on his own website, such as depictions of pentagrams and satanic references, not the ones being sold in Target, which included a sweater with the slogan, Cure Transphobia, Not Trans People. One minor bright side to this latest move from Target is that Carnell has seen a huge surge in orders via his personal shop to the point where he's had to stop taking orders in order to catch up. Target's decision is complicated and also shows the ways in which large corporations can pick and choose when and how they display, literally, their support for queer and trans people. There are many independent artists and designers whose work is featured in Target's Pride collection who could certainly use our support outside of the once a year ways they are promoted by department stores and other companies. This feels like a proper time to promote the Maker's Market that the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity launched as part of our annual conference. We started this queer Etsy, but in person, space at the 2022 Midwest Bisexual, Lesbian, Gay, Transgender Asexual College Conference, and we're thrilled to meet and hang out with several queer and trans creators who adventured with us on this new project, and we're extra excited to be continuing the program at this year's Mumble Talk in Lexington, Kentucky. If you or someone you know is a queer creator and you want to learn more about tabling at the largest gathering of LGBTQ youth, please check out mumbletalk.org for more details on how to sign up. As creators ourselves of queer and trans spaces, I will also plug that the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity will be participating in Give Out Day during the month of June. This LGBTQ focused fundraising event runs from June 1st until June 28th. And this is a prime opportunity for supporters of queer and trans advocacy work to give your favorite orgs, small businesses, and individuals some extra monetary support. We have set a goal of raising $5,000 through community giving during Pride Month. You can learn more and set up your one-time or recurring donations at sgdinstitute.org giving to support our efforts in educating, empowering, and sharing the stories of Midwest queer and trans youth. Today's guest is one of the rad folks who joined us for the very first Mumble Talk Makers Market, Amra Veer, a.k.a. the Queer Comic Peddler. There was not a single time I walked through the conference space last year that I didn't see a swarm of people thumbing through their amazing selections of queer comics, memoirs, and children's books. We chat about our favorite reads, the impact of book bans, and the future of queer publishing. Find a comfy place to sit and flip to the first page of this episode of Take the Last Bite. Why can't we be in space with hundreds of other queer and trans folks and having these necessary conversations? When it comes to dynamics around privilege and depression and around identity, well-intentioned isn't actually good enough.
1: Uh, how far is too far to drive for a drag show? I don't know. We're in Duluth right now. I would straight up go to Nebraska, probably.
0: <laughs> if you are not vibing or something's not right or also like there's an irreparable rupture, you have absolutely every right to walk away. Definitely going to talk about Midwest nice. And if that's if that's um, as real as it wants to think it is. Midwest nice is white aggression. That's what it is. All right, friend, let's go ahead and get into it. Really stoked about this conversation. Um, and as I was saying right before I hit this record button, this is one of the first times we've been pitched um, by someone to be on the podcast. Um, and I was very happy to oblige because I'm excited to chat with you about your work and your passion areas. So why don't we just start with a quick introduction from you including if you may um what is your relationship to the midwest
1: My name's Amara Veer and I uh, I I run Queer Comics Peddler it's a pop-up and I attended MSU and graduated in 2011 now okay and uh I attended a bunch of the Mumbletech events uh, was on the pitch committee but not the planning committee which is as everyone knows a whole other ball game okay. Um, for when we hosted, that is. And uh I have lived in the Midwest in Michigan my whole life. Uh, so very nice. Eh?
0: That's really exciting. Um, how many conferences would you say you've been to of mobile talk?
1: Three when I was a student and then I think two now as a vendor.
0: Okay. Which were the three? And
1: when one when I wasn't a student and I snuck in.
0: That's fine. You're you're still welcome to do that. Yep. <laughs> So the ones when you were a student would have, I'm assuming, been the MSU one? Did you go to the... Or no, that would have been after. After.
1: After, I I went to the one way over in Iowa, like way over there. Um, And my ability to remember which state I actually was in is actually kind of hard because we didn't sleep much that weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I went to uh, the Michigan one when I was at U of M. I think that was when I snuck in. Um, I've been to Kalamazoo as a vendor. And I'll be going. I I'll be going as a vendor to Kentucky, so my timelines are all off. I guess is what I'm saying. But uh, approximately four to five mobile text is what I've been to.
0: That's a pretty substantive amount, I think, especially uh, with the gap between like being a student and now coming back as a vendor, which was you know exciting for us because we you know started the Maker Market last year we've had vendor fairs or different types of resource fairs where that's kind of been like a mixed bag of whoever wants to table at the conference can. But, you know, last year we started the maker market as kind of our colloquial, what we call the queer Etsy in person um, experience. And um, we weren't sure, you know, what the receptivity to that was going to be. And it was really nice to have this really like intimate and uh, smaller but mighty like starting group and I would say that there wasn't a time that I walked through the giant space where there wasn't a cluster of people at the like makers spaces including your table right um def I hope that was lucrative for you I know that we've got some really good feedback and are excited to. Um, do it again so I you know I'm really happy that uh, this has also turned into a podcast relationship where we can kind of talk about the backstory um, of how you're coming into our space so why don't we get into that a little bit where did the idea for queer comic pedaling uh, come from where did how did you get into this particular area
1: it actually was a comic <laughs> <Of course. laughs> love that okay um i think it's by kel mcdonald i have i've been searching and trying to find the anthology that that was in but a comic of a group of queer friends that are like some kind of renaissance fantasy time and they're just going off to the market to all together to pop up and sell their cheeses and their wares and whatnot and it's it's you know cute it's queer representation and yeah. so i uh realized that people have been doing this kind of thing, popping up and selling just a small amount of items, not a big box store, for a long time. And there's no reason I couldn't do that with the the thing I I love and seek out the most. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is queer queer comics. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's just kind of been an affinity of yours for a long time. Like, how did you, what was your gravitation towards comics in particular?
1: Uh, So I was a reader... I was more a reader when I was little, like I read and at little being like before college and I couldn't spend time reading full-on books all the time. Okay. Um, and I read a lot. And then as a, and as a little kid, I would read the Saturday morning comics cause I was in the middle of nowhere with my, my, um, biological dad and we didn't have TV. We didn't have internet mm. back then. We didn't have anything but the fields and, <laughs> oh God, <That's- laughs> and 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 the paper which came every saturday and yep. i was only there on the weekend so it wasn't that big of a deal but like i always want to read those comics with like the two that were actually kind of funny for a child <laughs> and um then i gravitated towards web comics uh when they first started appearing um and found a number of, of cartoonists that i still follow from back when i was in middle school i guess because that was you know, when the internet started becoming available and uh got to watch essentially these creator owned strips grow and start to take on their um be able to be published we actually have self publishing now that didn't exist in the 90s Stay. really um that lo- at least that looks as professional i should say um and as time went on i went to msu i joined the queer caucuses and mm. uh led spectrum which uh, uh is the campus caucus um at least at the time when i was there it was and uh, uh built a media library of, of dvds and stuff of, with queer content and realized i could do the same with comics once i graduated because i was seeing all these things be published and getting really hyped about them
0: that's really cool i feel like so like when i was in college we definitely had like a library in our it was called the rainbow lounge um at umkc and I cannot recall, and I spent a lot of time in there, I cannot recall, right? Like there being much beyond novels, books, textbook type, like nonfiction. Definitely, you know, I'd be curious if it's changed or if it's even a library anymore, um, uh, if there's more graphic novels or comics. Cause I do think, and I think you were a prime example, just being in the conference space last year with the gravitation of kind of our, you know, youth audience, college aged folks, you know, really gravitating towards comics graphic novels um and then you also uh i recall uh uh peddled (laughs) um uh kids books right like i think that was also a really nice refreshing piece i know a lot of folks um that i talked to were like oh i need to pick up something for my nibbling or i need to pick up something for you Mm -hmm. know this other small child in my life and just like uh i thought that was really cool too so like how did the um how how does the like thought process of just what you want to collect and kind of what you bring to your pop ups and the conference space kind of come together? Like, how are you making your choices and selections for what you want to showcase to folks?
1: So a lot of it is, uh, I mean, the the scope is uh, books by or about queer and trans people. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm, I'm looking for. So uh, sometimes people might I, I think sometimes people aren't out yet and they'll write about ca- characters mm-hmm. um, and sometimes they don't come out, but they want to write about characters. Uh, and so that's my my scope and then i expanded to kids books um because i wanted to make sure i had like a full range of of views and options for ki- people um mm-hmm. kids and all, all the way from kids to grown ups um and kids books are pretty much comics like i don't know if people have thought about this but they are comics they're just single panel pages um that's fair. and the publishing like industry is different for kids books but like in terms of what you're making, it's, it's a, it's comic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What has been
0: your experience? And I feel like my, I have a guess of how this is going to be answered, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What has been your experience so far, knowing that we're currently in a climate where a lot of LGBTQ based books, plus additional books with any kind of diversity, right? There's a lot of book banning attempts or successes from our opposers if you will right now has that shown up in any way in like any of the spaces that you've done pop-ups any of the um you know has it created any impacts on you being able to access copies of books i know like i know a lot of the bands are mostly proposed at this point and they're coming they're being actualized more so i think in southern states um at this moment but there's certainly a precedent um, starting where that's a chain reaction of a long list of books being on a band list. I think I just read super recently that like genderqueer is one of the like most um, listed books on those lists of banned consideration lists. And I know that's one that I think you have uh, included in your rotation of books that you're promoting because of a very obvious reason. So like what how has that impacted kind of your thought process or your selections or kind of your motivations for um, doing your pop-ups and promoting queer narrative books
1: I, it's, it's kind of inspired me to want to to do it more i really mm-hmm. want to make michigan a state where there's this li- physically so many comics like queer comics here that people have access to them and it will hopefully make it easier for people to understand different points of view like mm-hmm. there's that that nice i think perspective there um, but we've also seen about, I think at least four to six bands, uh, pushed in our libraries and, and schools in Michigan already that I know of, mm-hmm. um, and genderqueer is, uh, this is the second year in a row where, where Maya Kobabe's memoir is, is being, uh, is number one on the most banned books mm-hmm. because it depicts anti- some antiquity, uh, pieces is what I realized, um. It's made, so it's made me more inspired to do this, but I haven't had much pushback from people showing up, uh, coming to me and saying that I need to get rid of whatever I'm, I'm depicting. Usually it's more generic bigots protesting pride. Um, and yeah. I've seen some, it really, uh, my favorite has been Lowell Pride's approach to uh, back in 2000. And uh, I think one that where they, the free mom hugs group surrounded the bigots. And and had like banners so high up that you couldn't see any of their signs and uh, you couldn't hear them. And so they just followed them around, like surrounded uh, (laughs) as they tried to go around the pride event until eventually the three or four bigots just gave up. They said, well, they keep following us. We we got to they didn't want to be there anymore. And whenever you would look, try and like look at them, some someone would say, would you like a hug? And it was very, it it was like this direct action that I hadn't, I've never heard of or seen before. And I loved that. Um, But uh, in in terms of the bands, I feel like we're in this golden age right now. We have like this perfect moment of, there's a lot of places publishing smaller comics and independent comics. Uh, Independent creators can create their own comics and publish them. And then we also have, Like book book publishers finally looking in and saying, "Oh, comics are making money. We'll we'll publish them too," Mm -hmm. and so you have these a lot more channels that are publishing these these works. So we're we're in like this golden age, is just what I I describe it as with of representation. Um, But with that comes more visibility and I think more pushback. Um, And one of one of the reasons I think that folks are upset about Maya's uh, memoir is that it is so. Uh, it identifies as ace and doesn't want kids, and mm-hmm. is so outside of the the um, heterosexual, cisgender, reproductive uh, goals that a lot of parents have that uh, that's very threatening. And then the last point I, I would say is I just read today that a lot of the book bans being pushed are being done by a very small subset of individuals, mm-hmm. as in like under under hundred individuals are pushing almost all the fans, like wow. the majority of them. So. Uh, that part's also encouraging that is
0: that is encouraging a and also just alarming that that small group of people can make such like a wave of just kind of consistently pushing the talking point that these are the books you know the list is pretty consistent across all the spaces you see where there there's recommendations for bands i also just saw um i don't know how many authors or who all is involved in this lawsuit but uh george m johnson i follow who wrote um of course i can't remember it right now um one of his books though is is like on all of these lists and it's been on lists of uh book bans either state legislation or libraries pulling it from shelves and he's part of a federal lawsuit i think um Mm -hmm. to push back against you know the books that are being banned i'll have to find more information about that and tuck it into the show notes for this but just seeing that there's now at least uh, a a wave of, well, how do we cut this short before it balloons into something larger, keeping it to that cluster of, you know, less than a hundred people as you're saying, right? So that you know, the books can just go out, right? You don't I I feel like it's a strange tactic, though it makes so much sense as a tactic for our opposers to come at the texts that we, you know use and that we're writing and that we're trying to push out for community connection purposes for educational purposes for affirmation purposes because like I don't know when I walk into a library or bookstore and I see books by you know Tucker Carlson and Megyn Kelly and just whatever I roll my eyes and I keep it moving because like I don't know I would never personally be in the mindset where I'd be like you shouldn't be allowed to write a book. I may feel uh, uncomfortable that you're writing a book and that there might be someone in my ecosystem who might read it, right? Some of the boomers in my life, you know? And like the concept of coming after folks' written work from a freedom of speech perspective, especially from the crowd that's obsessed with freedom of speech, is just such a cognitive dissonance that just doesn't make any
1: sense. Yeah. Yeah. I... Uh, yeah, I have a lot of loved ones that are that are extreme right wingers, and so I I've had some conversations with them, and it and sometimes I am it's it, am I talking to the talking points from a TV or am I talking to Ooh. somebody that's able to converse is usually the the like level I, I, that I kind of draw the line.
0: Yeah, are you teachable and or am like open to a different perspective or yeah, are you arguing with? I like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to pull it out of that space because we could talk about that as a whole, whole piece of episode itself. What are some of your favorite comics? Like either newer ones, current ones that you're really hype about, some that are coming out soon, maybe, or ones that are just like classics that are a big deal to you, or any books really. But it seems like comics are your
1: uh, comics are my jam. But I can I can give a couple special shout outs. Um, So. Maya gender genderqueer is. There's a reason it's being banned. It's because it's so good. Uh, right. I just I, I I'm a big fan. Um, uh, as like an ace person with like um who's AFAB and try and trying to uh, figure out gender stuff. It it's great. It's a really great sure. one. And I I see why the other side is so threatened by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would also say Cat Lay did Thirsty Mermaids and Snapdragon, and. Sure. Both of these are fabulous books. Uh, one's for aimed at adults, and one's aimed at uh, middle grade, the eight to twelve year old age range. Uh, it, Magic and and found family, are like all of these, and um, uh, in, in all of that. And I also would do a special shout out to Cedar McLeod's um, as a book, a book recommendation, okay. uh, the Magical Library series by Numinous Spirit Press. Um, this. This book is in a set in a world where everyone uh, uses E.M. Air pronouns okay. in this culture. And there is a uh, like content warnings in the beginning and it deals with like messy 30, uh, like people in queers in their 30s dealing with um, uh, academia, like like working in academia.
0: Ouch. <laughs>
1: That's me. <laughs> uh huh. In a magical okay. library. Got it. Um, and it's like a it's like a comfort rate. And the second one was just published on Kickstarter. So. Um, eager, eager to read that, um, and yeah, I could. I guess I could go on and on. I see all my books over here. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I guess a special shout out to, to the nib. The nib is a printing press that just shut down yesterday. Absolutely. They're or they're they announced they're shut down. They're shutting down after ten years, um, and they consistently pub. They were trans and, and like queer run. Consistently published trans and queer creators, um, and it's just a shame that it's it's they're shutting down. But you know to live
0: oh, yeah that's such a bummer i feel like it just it feels very much in line with like the what we're seeing with um like queer media companies i've seen several posts in just the past week of folks who work at Autostraddle straddle um having their positions eliminated we've seen kind of that with them and into um buzzfeed right just a lot of like queer leaning or queer focused media and so it feels like it's kind of right in line with you know where our where our stories are coming from or having a hard time hanging on um which is you know also why this podcast is important is kind of to to keep some kind of oral archive of some of these conversations to keep the history of like if this only existed for a snapshot which 10 years is kind of a snapshot or you know how long is a queer comic peddler going to be in existence hopefully for a really, 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 really long time. And right. Like it might evolve into something else. You might, you know, merge lanes with something, you know, just like what, um, what that can look like can be so different because things change and shift and you're doing something that is wholesome. And we know like we just talked about that there's plenty of people who are like, no, we don't want people pushing queer narratives in book form regardless of how Reasonable that 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 should be so
1: rights of our country. Yeah, what a concept! What a concept! We have. <laughs> what uh, a concept. I, special shout out to though to Tab Kimpton's book. I realize I didn't mention any books that have I think sexuality in them. Okay. Tab Kimpton published a uh, disc of uh, Discord Comics publishes like high quality smut uh from Britain, uh and it's not. uh it, There's a problem in, in the U.S. where we have a lot of puritanical approaches to our stories. Mm-hmm. and that's one of the special areas i try to search for is like what i call the grown-up comics comics aimed mm-hmm. at grown-ups mm-hmm. and uh that as as we get this these other narratives happening i, I kind of worry about that but i also don't want to let the puritans win so it's fair that's fair yeah i didn't even think about that like formal fan fiction <laughs> <laughs> yeah fan fiction is a great example of mm-hmm. uh you know g- getting what we actually want
0: exactly exactly
1: um i i was reading um
0: uh, an interview that you'd done um based in ipsalini uh, i think with animal reviews does that sound correct okay i mean about we put that on our institute website and um i was reading it in um got to the point where you were talking about referring a particular book that we'll we'll say in a second, um, to a friend of yours who wasn't a big reader. And I jumped out of my chair immediately and went to so I've been keeping a written record of every book I've ever read since I was in eighth grade. Right. So obviously I'm sure I read plenty of books before eighth grade, but I have a written record. I also use Goodreads, which um I shouldn't be, but that's what I have. Um Story is uh better, but I just haven't uh you know, decided to shift my stuff over to Storygraph yet. um But the book is Luna, right? And I remember as soon as I read it in the interview, because you mentioned that was the book that you referred a friend to who just wasn't really interested in reading. And I remember you unlocked like that, just reading that in the interview, you unlocked like from like the Inside Out movie, like a core memory of just like, ah oh, shit, I definitely read that book, didn't I? And I went and looked and I read that book in like 2007 and so I did the math and I would have been 16 years old when I read that book right that book was published in 2004 I read it obviously a couple a handful of years after and like as a trans non-binary person now I do not recall reading that book in that moment and being like "Ah, yes that is me I do recall reading that and being like this is I want to say fascinating because my 16-year-old brain was very much interested and intrigued by this trans woman narrative that I had never encountered anywhere else before. And so all of that to say, that book was so ahead of, I think, so much else that is now coming up in this golden age of comics you're talking about. There's a book about every type of trans experience. I feel like at this point, many trans people especially are getting, you know, book deals. Janet Mock's books are kind of pivotal, I think, as kind of the the leading source on kind of like a very memoir-esque trans narrative. But I totally forgot about Luna until I reread it in that, in that interview of yours. And I was like, oh my God, that book was a big deal. And it just was lost in the back of my psyche memory. So I very much was excited to be reminded of that book.
1: Yeah, that, that was my first book I read with a trans character at all, ever. And actually it was, it was my friend that recommended it to me. No, because he knew I was a strong reader and he wasn't a a big reader, but you know, when he came out as trans a few years later that it, it all snapped into place. Oh, that's why you really found that narrative so fascinating. Um because we hadn't seen any of that where I was right. growing up. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah, I have I have some quibbles with that the narrative now. I don't know if if, if anyone else has read it, but I have like not read short,
0: it since I was 16, but I would be interested to retry. I probably find it a little cringe, but you know.
1: <laughs> About it's it's good it's but and it's very much like well what if your what if your sibling was trans wouldn't you still feel feel for them even if it was harder for you it was kind of the premise of this book and i'm like nowadays that's an older narrative but at the time there's there was no trans characters for in children's fiction so that um that itself was uh helpful that representation and then any like other books that had queer characters the tamara pierce folks the the main characters in the certain golden uh, um not the golden compass in the circle of magic books uh they were they were lesbians raising these kids together well that didn't happen in the so you want to be a wizard books the two guys that train the the kids they're they're gay and they're together but you know they're just they're just roommates uh, all of these are just they're just roommates kind of is the thing and as a kid especially as an ace kid i was like oh yeah that sounds awesome. I, I want to live with all my friends. I'm going to draw a little plan for our little commune together and we'll live like this in the future. Like that. It's true goal. Yes. But, uh, in hindsight, I'm like, Oh, sexuality is happening even behind closed doors. Um, and yeah, uh, that's, uh, something that I, I didn't see. So the representation actually being like, in, explicit was, was, uh, important for that book. Um, mm-hmm. And now nowadays, it's that narrative is is not used as often. But I find it in other countries. There's um, like like in the manga content that I share. There's there's stuff that is very um, explicit content, but there's also stuff that is uh, uh, like there's a series I really love um, called I uh, think uh, the Sunspots, and it's really great in terms of like um, uh, deaf and hearing disabilities representation in Japan. Uh, but the gay love like romance is just the pace is glacial it's the the <laughs> slowest i've ever seen and it's like oh you get a kiss on the cheek in book two like you get a like uh some like like touching in the rain in book in book three and then like a lot of like freaking out about it it's almost homophobic and it feels like but it's, okay. it's not entirely like but that's the pacing and it brings me back to the 90s when we're like oh they're gotta be careful talking about any of this stuff this is how i expect the readers to feel and i i don't think that happens as much with our with the current um, publications
0: Sure. Sure, yeah i you know thinking back to again reading luna when i was 16 and thinking about just like what i was able to access as a 16 year old who was still living at home in a well it was a split household on one end I had a parent who was very very anti-everything right just a very hateful person another parent who like is not that but um you know it impacted like what I was able to watch on tv right I very distinctly have a, a memory of like not being able to have the Ellen DeGeneres show on tv you know not necessarily any like verbal comments about it but just like oh it popped up on tv and suddenly the the channel was switched and just like getting those kind of non-verbal and like implicit messages of just like what is allowed to be watched um, in a household where there was a tv in every single room right and so that is a more visible you know it's harder to be able to access that when you're in a house where there's certain things that can't be on tv the sound has to be down maybe you get to watch it late at night or if you're in the basement by yourself you can watch it but like no one was monitoring what books I brought home. I was reading from a young age. It was something that I was promoted to do. It was cool. It was a cool thing that I, as a young kid, was a big reader. And so when I was just bringing stuff back from my high school library at that time, Luna was one of those books, and no one was paying attention to the books I was reading because I could do that in the privacy of my room without much question, and it wasn't a shared activity that would be public. So, like, in retrospect... I was doing something pretty like risky because like if Luna was a TV show or a movie, I couldn't have watched it without alarm or concern or question. And I think that's a huge deal that, you know, has always made it important to me to try to put books in the hands of, you know, I work with college students now, obviously, where like I'm always really excited when I have students who are sitting in my office and suddenly I see their eyes kind of really Hyperfixating fixating on my bookshelves so and i'm like i'm not necessarily interested in borrowing you all of those um because some of them are very important to me but i'm happy to like buy you a copy with my budget right like i'm happy to like access you know get you access in some type of way um and get you to see what's available to you because for me books are where it's at but like youtube and tumblr is where it's been at for like folks you know college age right now well tumblr is probably not for the college age folks anymore unfortunately but I think you you know what I mean, right? Just like how like the book is the covert way of getting the representation that you know social media offers now, but in a way for folks who maybe can't um, consume that publicly. That was a big deal, I think, for me when I was a teenager.
1: I had a, a similar experience growing up. I was wasn't allowed to wear uh, cargo pants. You know who wears cargo pants, according to my mom? Oh no, lesbians, of course. That's back nice. in this in the you know early aughts um <laughs> and i i wanted the pockets so bad um but uh when it came but she like changed tune and was like telling me to watch but i'm a cheerleader for, for no reason when i was a high schooler so uh she they they believed i was queer since i was obsessed with xena um like when yeah, I
0: was a four-year-old that's fair
1: <laughs> and i'm like yeah you kind of got me there mm-hmm. um but uh your experience reminds me of a couple other other ones, including um, Jeanette Winterson. I don't know if you've read "A uh, uh, Oranges Aren't the Only Fruit" or um, "Written on the Body," which I was I was made to read in college, which was fabulous. One of my favorite ones I had to read. Okay. Uh, but she wrote "Oranges Aren't the Only Fruit," and she is um, uh, she she lived in England and had extremely uh, was adopted in an extremely religious family and had the experience of you know finding the books that she loved, uh, then eventually and hiding them under her bed. Until her bed started to increase at oh uh, height. Um, and of course, and she lived, they had an outhouse. They lived with an outhouse. Like that was the, their lifestyle. And then her mom found it and burned all her books. Uh, but happy ending, she went to Oxford and became a you know highly well publicized writer. And she recently wrote a so here's the real story of my life, not my fictionalized older interests aren't the only fruit. Um, and the title is Why Be Happy When You Could Be Normal? which is what her mother told her when she came out as gay. Uh. Uh, Like, oh my. Uh, But yeah, the, the ability to read a book is a little bit easier to, I I think to tuck behind another book, for instance. And I've seen, I've heard from teachers that this is a problem too, because students don't want to be seen with some of the books they want to read. So they'll Mm -hmm. just grab them. Then teachers don't have the books in their class anymore. Um, it's another reason I kind of hesitate. I want to start a library, you know, ADHD goals, but uh, Mm -hmm. I want to start a queer library uh, because I've started to accumulate so many of these. And um, uh, I worry about the aspect of getting books back. Like you said, I was so impressed that you're like, yeah, I'll buy this for you with the budget because I don't want to call people to ask for books back.
0: I've learned the hard way, like, and I, you know, I, I, I give grace to the students who have walked off of my books and not return them. One of them is now a coworker, though, and I give her a hard time regularly. And I was like, where's my copy of Pedagogy of the Oppressed with all of my notes in it that I lent you, right? It's just like, that's so easy to access. And in retrospect, I should have just like thought differently. But I was just like, yes, please read this. It's so good. And I, the uh, four or five years later, I still don't um, have my books. So uh, I've learned the hard
1: way not to do that. <laughs> I, I attribute that for me as a like a neurotypical and, and for me it's a- uh, ADHD tendency of oh my god I love this you should have it
0: exactly <laughs> like exactly just, just
1: handing it to people yes. uh and I've, I have other friends that have done the same thing to me and, I'm, and it's like are you are you sure you want to give away something that you seem to bring you so much joy mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and as I've age aging I'm learning similar as, as you yeah. maybe not
0: If it's if it's a book that I read and enjoyed, but it doesn't have any of my notes in the margins, then I might be more receptive to lending it to you. But uh, sometimes I I used to be I used to think it was blasphemous to write in books and mark them up, and now I have (laughs) grown into feeling much more comfortable with that and doing a lot of that. So they're they're more than just copies of books at this point. They're very much mine, um, and I'd like to keep them. But I definitely was the high school student who uh, I can't remember the author, but there's a book called I think it's he's come undone that feels possibly correct there's a there's a queer narrative in there i'd be interested to reread the book but i was very very compelled by this book because it was a fat queer narrative um which is also not you know salient in any publishing in general yeah um so i definitely took that book home do i know where that book is now no i'm pretty sure i still have it though Um, But I I also feel like I got really out of fiction after, like, high school. I was big into fiction, young adult fiction, sci-fi, fantasy when I was in high school. And then I got to college and read what I was required to read for classes and got a bit out of reading in general because I was so involved as a student leader and then went to grad school um, and had to read what I had to read for grad school. Point of order.
1: Yes. (laughs) So you were so involved as a student leader. How many, how much did your grade point suffer for this? You don't actually have to say that, but, but did you, did you get the, I always warned people after I went through it, I said, just expect your GPA to go down a whole point if you become a president. Just expect it.
0: Um, I feel like I held on decently, but I definitely dropped a class or two before it got to the point where it would have impacted my GPA. So, uh, you know, uh a preemptive strike to not have that happen um it did cost me my women gender sexuality studies minor because i was one class away from getting it and decided um that the course load i had the same semester i was hosting mumble talk as a student in kansas city uh i didn't understand the class and i was like i don't know why this is cross-listed under this minor and it's 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 too much so i dropped it um which meant i didn't get my minor but uh i did plenty i i don't feel like i lost out on any information um i just didn't get the you know official documentation that i got that minor but um yeah i've definitely been a per. i'm pretty sure i walked away with some books from the rainbow lounge in fact they're probably right behind me on my own shelf
1: so like you know it's
0: just a thing but like you know the The acquisition of the queer books, right? If that's what I needed to take away from that physical, literally take out of that space at the time, I'm assuming there was a really valiant and like strong reason, and I've I feel pretty confident I've paid it forward enough times, and maybe that's the karma I've received (laughs) of not getting some of my own books back.
1: Yeah, just keep keep passing along. That's that's the hope, at least.
0: Yes. Yes. I could just talk about books all day, but that's not really the vibe. I also feel like I should ask... Tell
1: people. you why comics are better. Or yes. not better, but why... are they why There's you. this. yes. The, the, as I say, you know, the gravitation towards queer comics, um, there's a couple of reasons. One is the improvement of visual literacy. Okay. Uh, it, you know, forces... And it doesn't force, but as you're reading, you're experiencing both the text and the images and it, the expressi- expressions that are supposed to convey things to you, um, which I think is very educational, especially in a day and age when and when we don't have as much face-to-face conversations and communication. Mm-hmm. I think it helps with like it, it does help with the um people learning interpersonal skills and like uh understanding facial expression, for instance, okay and noticing things that should be noticed on a, on uh in body language. That I think is is a big one. And then there's the the speed at which you can read a comic. Most comics most comics, if you are a fast enough reader, you can read in about uh, a day or two, with like focus. Um, you, you don't have to, but I, that's that's my approach because I like to read things quickly in big yeah. chunks, hyperfixation, I guess. <laughs> um, and given that we have so much other other media coming at us, especially short form media, uh, comics really help with that. And I had I learned from a a book called A uh, Reader Come Home by Marianne Wolf. Um, she's a dyslexia researcher, uh, that essentially, uh, we are training our brains to only be able to focus for short chunks at a time with our, essentially our social media, uh, uh, reading and comics kind of fit the, the, um, like thread that needle of, mm-hmm. it's still a long form form, like a long form text. And it has a, uh, narrative that goes from point A to point B, um, but the, each chunk of content is pretty short, and it's all interest visually interesting, Every, hopefully, every panel. Mm-hmm. So uh, that matches with the attention spans of our readers. Mm-hmm. And um, also, too long don't read if you don't read that book. It's an audiobook. Uh, you can fix the problem of not being able to focus on books that you used to be able to focus on by practicing. That's just the, the trick. And supposedly you'll feel it click in your head the same way as when like you learn how to read, and you feel it click in your head. Uh huh. So that and that's that's an experience my echo babe also depicted when he uh, uh he was dyslexic and taught himself to read uh, uh, Harry Potter. Um. So because you know everyone, all the queers loved Harry Potter before mm-hmm. Harry Potter hated all the queers. That was also when I was banned from reading. That was the only book I wasn't allowed to read, Harry Potter, because of the satanic influence that it was going oh, to give. Oh my god! But then my dad read it and he liked it, so
0: fine. Oh, the tables have turned.
1: I guess I don't. I don't have the last point. That I just—they're pretty. They're very pretty. They're pretty. They're art, and they're you're supporting the current. The like the artists of our current generation, and like every single pa- panel is a painting.
0: Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm sold. It's just not been like I said, kind of a. a- genre i guess um that i've much spent time with but there's a graphic novel version of i think parable of the sower Mm -hmm. that i've had on my wish list for a long time as kind of a starting place because i'm obsessed with octavia butler and that you know sci-fi rom so that's on my list for sure um so i think that would be my my step in but um yeah, I'm definitely gonna jot down all of these recommendations after we re-listen to this
1: recording and send them out. Say, I'll, I'll confess, I haven't read my copy of of the, of uh the comic version of Parable of the Sower. I haven't finished it. The book is the book is so good. Right. Like that's the thing. The book is really good. Yeah, that's the one that almost converted me into into the Earth Seed. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm
0: full on converted. Like there's no no question. I'm I'm all in um okay uh what are some of your like big hopes either for you personally with queer comic peddler or what are some things that you're hoping to see more broadly with like queer publishing queer comics queer narratives queer stories um you know what are some of your big hopes in the next time is fake so what are what are your you know big hopes and dreams with no expectation of linear time because that's not fair
1: (laughs) sure sure uh my big hope is to continue to to be able to do this. And I want to, I want to get a brick and mortar space where we can start actually have physical hangouts and organize things again. Uh, It's just real hard to do that with a straight job as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Unfortunately. And that that's it. Hopefully on the horizon, like next year I can get things together. Um, And I'm going to try, try crowdfunding that at some like help find a way to do so. And then uh, after that, I, I want to make like a queer comics cafe or tea house or like a, a space where you can grab a bite to eat and get like a nice warm drink and hang out that regard. Mm-hmm. And then final goal, like my my final form, I'm hoping is like a queer community center, which in Michigan, we have a lot of them. Actually, there's affirmations, okay. there's Salus Center, there's the Grand Rapids Pride uh, Center. So there's there's a fair number. But uh, um, recently we lost common language in Ann Arbor as well as the out bar. Um, so wow. uh, this area I think is, is needing more uh, needing that again, but rent is high. So that's the the real challenge for everyone yeah. everywhere. And then for uh, comic publishing as a whole, I'm just hoping that the, we don't get these, like we don't have another comic code authority come in essentially and have a ban on certain content. Mm-hmm. Cause that this has happened before way back when we had little floppy trade paperbacks, um, uh, I, I'm saying the wrong words because that's not my, my comic focus It's usually books. But when we had the floppies, the, there was worried that they were t- sending children into doing drugs and to going, becoming prostitutes and even to becoming like part joining the queer group, queer people um, way back when. And so you got the comic codes authority saying that any comic sold at a newsstand had to have stamps stamp saying that it didn't have smoking, drugs, prostitution, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, that dampened a lot of the stuff that was uh that that was kept and, and published really. And so I'm hoping we don't experience a similar thing here in the US because that would slow down our um our golden age, I, I guess I'd say. Mm-hmm. And I'm also hoping that we don't experience a um the the cost of publishing is high and mm-hmm. it, it keep it keeps going up along with like shipping and whatnot. So a lot of comics are published in China. Well if things don't go right with China, we will have more expensive comic books or less of them. So there's those areas uh, I worry about. Um, but then I see presses like um, Power Magic Press and Iron Circus, uh, which Iron Circus is in Chicago. Um, and both of these are um, like uh, queer and run by people of color. It So we have, we have some established printing presses doing the work that I really like. So mm-hmm. we're, we're in a good spot we are in a good spot. We're in this like great golden age. And my hope is that more people buy the books. So the authors get the money so they can keep making more books and it the you know, cycle can continue. And maybe after mumble tech, I'm, uh, I wanted to do a panel like to describe what I did. Maybe some people could do similar in their States. Like I, I want people who are in these places where we're getting these book bands to say, Hey, wait, 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 all it takes is like maybe a, a hundred or 200 bucks to just start this kind of business and start selling the stuff I love I'm in so that's that's what I'm hoping would happen
0: I love all of that I love all of that I'm reminded of a panel I watched with Rivers Solomon once upon a time but probably like two or so years ago I have no concept of how long ago it was but it was pretty recent where they We're essentially talking about, like, their really complicated relationship with the publishing industry and how they've been really contemplating, like, how do they step out of kind of that really rigorous and, like, competitive and difficult and expensive process just for the means of getting the stories they want to put out there out there and... I am obsessed with River Solomon's work and um, I'm interested in what that looks like, right? Like, what are those steps and what are the conversations that queer publishers and queer writers of any variety and queer illustrators can have about how do we genuinely queer up the publishing industry so that it doesn't have to be this very specific prescribed streamlined process of getting these stories out there because it's not necessary. It's just what is the most familiar Um
1: yeah, that's to the be problem.
0: Continued. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but I—I I was just going to say it. Just the, the the publishing industry expects a comic to come at the speed of a book, and that is not uh, the publishing industry of books. If they're publishing comics, some of them have expected the book the comics to be written, drawn, inked, colored, and final, like the 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 letters all done by one person at the speed at which an author can write a book, and that's just not not feasible so uh, most comics take it like a full one takes at least two years usually um uh, unless you're you know damaging your 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 carpal carpal tunnel uh, <laughs> experience that is fair um all right amron do you have any final thoughts for folks listening before
0: we wrap completely wrap this up
1: um i i don't think so rb i really love the podcast and uh I got this one and, and I think um gender reveal are my my two two main listens right now. Yes, so. I love gender reveal y'all. All.
0: Yes. Hey. What has been your favorite episode of either of those? Um but obviously I'm selfish and curious what has been one of your favorite um take the last bite episodes or conversations so far. Besides this one,
1: obviously. on the spot because of because of because of names. Yeah, yeah. This this is clearly my favorite conversation. I know. I'm all, <laughs> totally fine. Gender reveal had an author who wrote about the tran- the transgender child. Uh, I think that's the title of her book. Okay. And um, that podcast was fantastic. She goes into how essentially children are a marginalized class, treated as property, and uh, kind of hits a lot of really import- important points that we um, uh, need to experience now, And including the fact that this bathroom fight, we should remember that 100 years ago, there wasn't sex segregation in any bathroom because ba- plumbing was expensive. So we created sex segregation in bathrooms. And as my experience at like the club has shown me, mm-hmm. we don't really need to do that. So mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. we got rid of gendered bathrooms, I think it would serve both girls, boys, and other uh, in general. Because I remember when I was little, like a lot of bullying incidents for boys happened in the bathroom. Yes, But that might not happen if they were, had their friends that could just be in the bathroom with them. But that's a whole nother tangent, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> But the the history of the transgender child is the book to read about like, oh, there we've existed forever. And that author's pop like interview on gender reveal is the one to listen to.
0: Gotcha. Love that. Um, I will definitely check that out. That sounds good.
1: Sorry, my, my brain is a little scramble, I guess. But, totally, uh, I, I'm right I'm right on track with you. Totally good. We
0: will link all of these um, references. And if you have other book recommendations, which I'm sure you do, um, we can link them in the show notes um, and make this huge, nice book recommendation list for sure.
1: Your folks on the map. That was it. Your first episode.
0: Yes, uh, yeah, with Charlie from Everywhere is Queer, the map. Yes, that was a really fun one. I'm glad you liked that one. Yes, I really appreciated being able to talk to them. Yes. Yeah, Um, This has been really fun and exciting. um, And I'm really excited to hang out with you um, in Lexington in November. Yeah, I'm coming. Yes, of course you are. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Amazing. Hoping that we are. I'm really excited about um, kind of the growing of the maker market. We've already got some folks who didn't join us last year that have signed up already. So I'm real curious how we're going to... how it's going to play out this year, but um appreciative to you for being part of our nocturnal maker market um, and coming back. Cause that, that gives me a little bit of affirmation that we're doing something a little right here. So appreciate that a lot. Appreciate you spending time talking about all of your, um, you know, queer comic nerdiness with me. I'm really excited to put this out for folks too. So
1: yeah. Thank you, RB. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah. And you know, anyone who listens.
0: Take the Last Bite is made possible by the volunteer labor of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity staff. Our larger work is sustained by the contributions of grassroots donors. If you would like to support the life-saving work of empowering, connecting, and educating Midwest queer and trans communities, Please consider setting up a monthly or one-time donation at sgdinstitute.org backslash giving or hitting that green donate button on our website's homepage. Our inbox is open for all of your insight, feedback, questions, boycotts, memes, and other forms of written correspondence. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org particular shout out to justin andy nick danielle and michelle for all of your support with editing promotion transcripts and production our amazing and queer as fuck cover art was designed by
1: adrian mccormick